Chapter 2 Family and Worship by Randy Booth Introduction The Church The word church encompasses a great deal. The church is an organism and an organization. We go to church, and we are the church. We sit in the church, and we don't run in the church, and yet the church is invisible. The church is one, and the church is many. It has a history and a future. It's both universal and local. The church is a body, a bride, a flock, an olive tree, and a household. We join churches and we leave churches. The church is militant and it is eschatological. And there's much more that we can say about the church. God has placed his church at the center and summit of the world. The church is comprised of the people of God called out of the world into union with the crucified and risen Lord. As God's people, his new humanity, we are an outpost of heaven on earth. We are marked out by baptism in the triune name. We gather around his table to feast, and we declare our common faith in Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the Father's right hand in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ rules over all things for the sake of the church, Ephesians 1, 22-23, which in turn exists for the sake of the world. Calvin writes, Because it is now our intention to discuss the visible church, let us learn from the simple title Mother how useful, indeed how necessary, it is that we should know her. For there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance until, putting off all mortal flesh, we become like the angels. Our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from her school until we have been pupils all our lives. We have formally vowed before God and one another to be united to the Church of Jesus Christ. We have said, I do, in obedience to the Word of God, uniting ourselves with this body of believers in submission to the elders and to one another, for service to those who are of the household of faith, and for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Many have devalued the church. It is devalued by corruption within, involving both leadership and laity. It is devalued by a lack of understanding of her importance and place in the world and in the life of God's people. It has been trivialized by shallowness and silliness. It has been compromised by seeking the approval of the world. Indeed, it is thought of as optional by many individual Christians who can take it or leave it, since they feel no real sense of obligation to the church. But the Bible teaches us that the church is the center of the world, the nursery of Christ's kingdom. It is the most important institution on earth because it is the people of God, the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. With the church and through the church, societies live and die, rise and fall. A Family-Friendly Church We've heard a good bit in the last few years about the family-friendly church. Perhaps the Family Life Center provides the most tangible picture of this modern emphasis, what can the church do for you and your family? Now, we do not want family-unfriendly churches. Certainly, there is a genuine need for churches to be concerned with ministering to the needs of families. However, terminology can, and often does, point us in the wrong direction. It is a matter of priorities. Taken by itself, 
Such terminology can be dangerous because what it presents is only a partial truth. This perspective can push people to view the church as an auxiliary institution. The church's purpose then becomes that of assisting the family. Soon, the family is viewed as the primary institution of life in the world. I'm suggesting that we do not need a focus on the family, but the family that needs our focus is the family we call the church. With a proper view of the place of the church, we will develop a better and stronger view of our individual families. Remember, our call to follow Christ involves self-denial, and even a denial of family relationships. Once Christ becomes central, then we can return to ourselves, our families, and our things with a proper perspective. They all serve Him. Mother Church feeds and nourishes us as we gather around the Father's table. From there, we are sent out to serve. The Church-Friendly Family A better emphasis is needed. We must come to see the Church as the primary family, and our individual families as outposts of the Church. I recently had the privilege of baptizing my eighth grandchild, Henry. My son and his wife handed their child over to Jesus and his church. After he was baptized, Jesus handed him back to his parents to take him home and raise him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In our individual families, we serve the larger, the primary family. We are sent out to serve the body of Christ in the world, and we come back on the first day of every week to gather around the family table. The Apostle Paul speaks of this ecclesiastical unity with these words. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 19-22 The church, then, is the primary institution of society. If the church is the household, family, and kingdom of God, then we must see that the individual families serve the church. Worship of the True God Pastor Doug Wilson observed, quote, The church must focus on being the church. Our first order of business is reformation in the church, but we are not fleeing the center of society when we do this because worship of the true God is the true center of every society. God cannot be worshipped rightly in any culture without that worship challenging and dislocating all idolatries. To focus on the right worship of God is to declare war. It is to throw down the gauntlet. End quote. We must be sure that we acknowledge the priority of God's claim. The problem we have been facing in recent years is that we don't really view the church as the primary family from which every other family draws its name. The church is not an institution ordained to assist the family so that it does the work of the kingdom. It's the other way around. The family is an institution that is utterly dependent upon the church in order to be equipped and guided so that it can be a blessing to the world rather than a curse, which apart from the church every family would be. The same is true for the state. The church holds the place of primacy, always. If it is the body of Christ, then there's no other place for it. Communion Living in communion with Him and with others The fall wrecked this arrangement. The church, however, is the place where we are restored and then sent out to live. 
Every person, every family, has its trials and pains. We sometimes think our own difficulties are unparalleled. But this kind of thinking would only indicate how little we get out and how shallow our knowledge of others really is. God calls us to live, and He calls us to live in the context of the community of His people. To the degree we forsake that assembly with our bodies or our hearts, our suffering will increase. It's in the covenant community where we are honed and polished. We learn to serve and to be long-suffering. We learn to forgive and love, and we learn how to deny ourselves and how to be blessed by others. In Acts 2, every day believers met together in the temple courts, broke bread in one another's homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Hebrews 3.13 suggests that many years later, Christians were still meeting daily. For this to become a part of our daily living, we must develop covenant consciousness. This is a way of thinking that begins with the congregation rather than the individual, that is, thinking in terms of we instead of me. It's in the context of the covenant community that we find rest and restoration. The way we develop the covenant community mindset begins by believing and obeying our loving Heavenly Father. We must resist the temptation to withdraw and, instead, do our duty. Our duty is to trust and obey, even when we don't feel like it. We have all taken public vows before God and His people to be committed participants in the covenant community we call church. The church is not a spectator sport. We are here to serve. The question of how often you decide to go to church should essentially be a one-time decision. There is nothing you do every week that is more important than participating in corporate worship. Here are a few important points for us to remember if we are to comprehend and implement life in the Christian community so that we and our families will know the blessings of God for many generations. The Lord's Day quote, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. This day distinguishes the covenant people of God from the world. Worship, quote, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, Hebrews 10, 25. The corporate worship of the one true God is central to the covenant community. Fellowship, quote, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend, Proverbs 27, 17. If we are not in the homes of other church members, and other church members are not in our homes, then we cannot possibly know one another the way we should. Time management. Quote, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6.33 We cannot manage time, but we can manage ourselves. When we become so busy with work or other activities, that we begin to neglect our family and our covenant community, then our orientation is not covenantal, but has become misdirected. Maintaining covenant priorities requires constant vigilance. Communication Our identity as a called people is strengthened by our common interests. We are called to pray for one another and to teach and admonish one another. Geography Quote, Let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. Daily interaction among our fellow Christians provides abundant opportunities to love one another. Trinity and Community The Trinity is a community of persons, and thus man himself, being created in the image of God, thrives only in community. 
Unlike God, however, no man is complete in himself or equal to other men. We are dependent creatures, dependent not only on our Creator, but also on other creatures. None of us possesses all the attributes of human nature in the same degree. We are individuals who must live in society with other individuals if we are to know the fullness of life. Others fill up what we lack. We need to be 10% more like our fellow church members. You have something to learn from every single member. Sin introduced enmity between God and man, and thereby ruptured the community or communion, so that to be cut off from that community is death. Man has been hiding from God and from other men ever since. Therefore God, by His grace, intervened by the way of the Mediator, reconciling the world to Himself, and now man can finally come out of hiding and return to the Father's table. Quote, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 By faith in Christ we are reunited with the triune God, and thus brought back into the original society. By our baptism, we are engrafted into the body of Christ and thus joined to the community of other men where we can serve and be served, love and be loved. It is in the context of this covenant with Christ and His Church that we find the fulfillment of His promise, abundant life. We die alone. We live together. Respect and Community One of the serious deficits in the broader culture is that people are oblivious to others. It's all about me. We see this in the way people talk, walk, dress, drive, and so forth. This is seeped into the church, and under the guise of accepting people the way they are, we have allowed them to continue to be the way they are. And thus, we contribute to the atrophy of the culture. People come to church, or come late, or fellowship, or serve, or give, or worship, or participate, if they feel like it never considering how this impacts the community. Children have often grown up with this apathy towards others. It is the epitome of immaturity. Worship and the Family I don't so much want to address family worship as I want to address corporate worship and the family. Family worship is an extension of the church's corporate worship. It doesn't stand alone. The same is true for individual worship. The worship of the congregation is central or primary, and the failure to understand this has diminished the influence of the church in the culture. The church is the worshiping community. She is the hub, and our families are the spokes. We are called to serve the body of Christ. In serving Christ first, we are also served as part of the body. But the church doesn't exist to serve me first. It's the church that teaches us how to worship and, therefore, how to live. We begin the first day of each week gathering together as the household of God in preparation for life. We should think of the Lord's Day's worship as practice for life. It provides a blueprint, an image, of how to live. We are not simply doing the liturgy, we are learning to live the liturgy. Every church has a liturgy, in other words an order, and that liturgy does ultimately get lived out. We learn to come when God calls us, and to listen to Him when He speaks. We learn to respond with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. We practice prayer and the confession of our sins and are reminded of God's gracious pardon and absolution. We have the privilege of giving cheerfully 
and of offering up songs of praise. We learn to receive instruction through the word preached and to remember our confession of what we believe. This all culminates in a gathering around the family table in communion. And after we practice, we are sent out, with God's benediction, to go to our homes and to do it all over again every day of the week. The Centrality of Worship Everyone worships someone or something. Everyone reflects that worship in how he lives. It is in our corporate worship that we are shaped together. We are shaped in communion. This is where and how a culture is built. There are common ideas and beliefs and practices. In other words, we have communion. Again, Paul summarizes this glorious communion in Ephesians. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4.11-16 Our worship establishes our views and our relationships to God, ourselves, our families, our neighbors, our possessions, and our time. Moreover, worship is always the most central fact about a culture. Every religion vies for power and control of our culture. At the center of every culture is the worship of that culture's God. And so I ask you, which God is our broader culture worshiping, and do you see any parallels in how the church is worshiping? If people worship God according to His Word, if they have a consciousness of following His Word in their worship, then their culture will reflect that. For if we honor the Lord in His worship, being careful to follow His Word when we would expect the same people to take heed of His Word elsewhere, but if we ignore His Word in His worship, then we will ignore His Word elsewhere. If we will ignore His Word in that one activity that is directly related to His glory, we will not have any conscience about following His Word particularly in any other area of our life. So you see, how we worship determines the very nature of the culture that we, as a people, build, family culture and broader culture. A departure from the true God begins when we fail to worship Him properly. This will be seen in a casual, flippant, and heartless worship. Then it will be seen in the abandonment of God's worship, forsaking the Lord's day, or Sabbath, altogether. Worship as Cultural Warfare It is us and our God against them and their God. All wars, including culture wars, are religious wars. This is why Rome had a pantheon, a temple dedicated to all the gods. Every time a new state was absorbed by Rome, their god went into the pantheon because it was an alliance. You have to embrace them and their god. This led to the warfare between Rome and the church. The Christians were willing to be good citizens of Rome, but they couldn't acknowledge the other gods of the empire. This made Christians political traitors. 
Christians were killed because of their treason. They were denying the theology of the empire. Thus, worship is warfare. It's where we are equipped and trained. It's the place from where we are sent out to serve. Because of its centrality, if you neglect or forsake corporate worship, you will lose your liberty. True freedom comes from obedience to the true God. So true worship is central to all of life. When we start fiddling with this, we are fiddling with the world. Worship has consequences. How you worship directly impacts your life and those around you, especially your family. Every Sunday you send a message to your family, and ultimately to the world, as to what your priorities are. You tell everyone who your God is. Pastor Douglas Wilson has reminded us that formal worship is a time when we remind ourselves of our constant and standing duties in the light of who God is. On the Lord's Day, our worship reminds us that the rest of the week belongs to Him as well. We're not setting aside God's portion of the week, but are reminding the entire family that the entire day and the entire week is His. Put another way, formal worship doesn't create a secular sacred distinction. Understood in the classic Protestant fashion, it obliterates it. We give one day in seven because all seven are His. We give 10% because 100% is His. Conclusion As our culture is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and taken captive by many novel notions, faithfulness to the authoritative Word of God, defended and boldly declared, remains as our great mission. The church is God's ark, the place of safety, preservation, and victory. We are, quote, the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. The Apostle Paul admonishes Timothy to be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, 2 Timothy 4.2. He was not referring to Timothy's personal ups and downs. He was referring to the culture around him, both inside and outside the church. Our steadfast worship of the triune God is critical to victory. Quote, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Proverbs 21.31 A church-friendly family is the path to transforming our culture.